Welcome to the Voice of Retail for the week of September 16th, 2019. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. In this week's episode, I'm on the road recording interviews in the Bahamas, where I was a keynote speaker at Blue Tech's Bartech Conference. Thanks there to Michelle and Penny for their generous hosting. And now recording live at the Global E-Commerce Leaders Forum in New York City in the Pure Leader Podcasting Studio. For this episode, I reach all the way out to Vancouver and chat with retailer Indochino CEO Drew Green. We catch up and talk about their impressive 40% year-over-year growth numbers that have made them one of Canadian businesses ranked fastest-growing retailers in their recent rankings, what it takes to maintain that level of growth and keep the customers coming back. Next, I chat with veteran retail brand marketer Patrick Dickinson and talk about retail marketing tradecraft, the complexities of managing multiple brands and concepts in modern retail, and the nature of crowds, or lack of them, creating challenges for traditional store traffic models. Lastly, I'll take a look at the retail news of the week, but first, let's listen to my interview with Drew Green. And a quick note, Gremlins and a not-so-super-great mobile connection stepped a little bit on my recording with Drew, so you might hear an occasional beep that I was unable to edit out. Otherwise, fantastic interview. Enjoy, and I'll talk to you a little later. Drew, welcome to the Voice of Retail. How are you today? You know what? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, nice to be speaking with you. You and I have known each other for many, many years, and I think last time I saw you, I was in your offices in Vancouver. I had the opportunity to interview Peter Housley, but you and I have never chatted for the podcast, so this is a, this is a real treat for me. You know what? It's a treat for me as well, man. I uh, appreciate you having me on, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so you've got some news. I want to get to that uh, in a minute, but for those who may or may not uh, know a little bit about you and may and may not know uh, about Indochino. I think there's a few people left who aren't 100% knowing about Indochino. Could you give us a, a sense of your personal journey and, and then a bit about uh, Indochino, uh, the retailer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just really quickly on me, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, man. I've been, been an entrepreneur now for, for over 20 years. Um, you know, first company was really really uh, privileged to be part of, and we sold a DoubleClick. We kind of retail for many years at DoubleClick, which eventually sold to, to Heller Freeman and then Google. And from there, BuiltOutShop.com. Uh, it was sold to um, Market America four years later, BuiltOutShop.ca. Uh, after that, was able to, to, to build that business in over $200 million market cap, Mm-hmm. And then eventually bought it back. It's now part of Emerge Commerce, which I'm chairman and founder of. Hmm. And uh, about four and a half years ago, um, you know, was able to, to really partner with uh, a couple of firms to uh, essentially buy Indochino and, and reimagine what it could be. And so, you know, Indochino is not a startup. We've been around since 2007. Mm-hmm. But it's in a way uh, what, we, what we call a restartup. You know, the business has been online only for for many years and had sort of tested retail in a, in a pop-up format, but we really wanted to take what was a niche brand uh, and create a global brand. And we've, we've done that, you know, we're the largest apparel brand now in the world. Uh, recently, as of last week, we're announced as the third fastest growing retailer in Canada, 13th mm-hmm. fastest growing company in Canada with revenues over a hundred million. And so it's been an amazing four plus years and we're just, we're even more excited about the future, um, you know, but it's been a really good journey so far. Well, that's, and in fact, what, what kind of initiated my call to you amongst just being able to catch up was this news you had. So Canadian business in McLean's 
did some surveying, and, and there's a couple of metrics in there. So tell me how exactly you came out. I think you just said your fastest-growing business in Canada, right? One of the fastest-growing yeah, so businesses really in Canada. Four key data points that Canadian business uh, released last Thursday on Indochino. You know, the first is that out of all companies in Canada, we're, we're one of the 500 most fastest-growing. And so we ranked 239 amongst all, can- all companies at any size in Canada. But when you break that list apart, uh, what, what we saw was we're the 13th fastest growing company which amongst companies that have over $100 million in revenue. And then when you look at retailers, we're the third fastest growing retailer amongst retailers with over $100 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the last one is that we're the, the fastest growing uh, retailer with uh, revenues outside of Canada, so growing internationally, the U.S., and et cetera. And so, you know, some really, really proud, proud stats for the team, and I just couldn't be more proud of everything they've done here. Well, it, it's a phenomenal accomplishment when you think of, um, A, just growing the business. What would you say, four and a half years? You've, you've uh, reimagined it just four and a half years ago. But um, many Canadian businesses have, have not been so successful going South, several notable, actually, Vancouver businesses who are very successful as well. You've got some good company uh, in Vancouver, Aritzia, Lululemon, uh, you know, Sage, many. But what do you think is the, um, you know, what's the formula to success in the American market? Is it any different than the Canadian market? I mean, the, the showrooms, as I see them, look, the concept looks the same. But so what do you attribute that kind of success to such a competitive market? Um, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, I think we're, you know, I think it is tough our Canadian brands and, you know, all, all kinds of consumer brands to, to really break out internationally. And, of course, the U.S. is hyper-competitive. Mm-hmm. I think for us, key to success really is the, the differentiated approach we've taken. So our showrooms are, are really engaging, uh, and they're quite different than, you know, our competitors in terms of how they interact with customers. Our entire focus is on, you know, is on fit and personalization and customization of the garment. And it's, it's quite fun. You know, our, I think one of the most interesting stats over the last four years is that over half of our transactions are repeat purchase. And so mm. the business has this incredible following that, you know, is extremely loyal to the brand that continues to come back again and again. And, you know, that's been a really big part of, you know, not only our staff growing internationally, but, but also, um, you know, just the health of the business. I mean, we were a business that, you know, we were losing 8 million U.S. a year in 2014. Mm. And this year we're, we're profitable and, and, and maintain growth and accelerated growth, actually. So, so yeah, I think the differentiated approach we've taken to retail has been really important. Of course, online is still the majority of our business and, mm. and our biggest store, quote-unquote. You, you mentioned a couple of things, and it, it's kind of a nice segue into my question. And I kind of asked you the same question on the main stage at Retail Council of Canada store last year. But with the, the toward growth that you're a pace at, and you're getting 50% return customers, how do you hire for that? How do you, like, how do you manage to operationally sustain quality in growth? And this is the question that many retailers, whether they're growing one store or 10, um, you know, how do you maintain consistency? How do you hire the right people? How do you keep the right people? I mean, you're not going to cover off the ball. What, what, any tips or what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think there's there's a lot there. I mean, we could probably talk about people for over an hour just because of how how important it is to any business and specifically what our plan is. I think, you know, when I look at our success, it, it is purely driven off the people that we have in the business, mm. the board, the shareholder group we have. And, you know, the one thing is, is just complete alignment to what our goals are, you know, and, and really staying focused on execution and not letting, not letting distractions come in the way of what we want to do. Continuity is, is a key word. Uh, in response to your question, because, you know, we've got a management team that's been together for some time now, right? Mm-hmm. I, there's a couple, there's a couple people I retained from, from the earlier days. And, you know, we've built out this incredible management team from, you know, companies like Lululemon and Microsoft and, and a whole bunch of others that just have incredible experience to bring to the company. And when you have a strong management team, you know, that believes in the vision, uh, that's focused, that's working their, their tail off, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, that, that goes throughout the organization. Um, I think at the store level, you know, you, you said it, right? Like one of the biggest risks we have these last uh, four years, as we went from kind of zero to now 50 showrooms, mm-hmm. how are we going to hire? How are we going to train? How are we going to retain the right people? Uh, was certainly been a focus, and I think that that middle one has been really important. The amount of training that we do, um, the amount of support that we give our staff, um, and the decision making we make. You know, we want to make sure we have the right people in the business, and so we give it our all in terms of supporting someone coming into the business. Uh, but we're also very quick to, to to look for fit and make sure we have the right fit. Your experts on fit. Um, <laughs> Uh, Last question for you. How are you feeling about the retail season ahead, both in the U.S. and Canada? And and what's ahead for Indochino? Is something different about the assortment and, you know, growth? So give us a a sense, first of all, of uh, how you're feeling. And the American uh, retail industry is putting in some big numbers. But, uh, you know, is there any any fear that, you know, that ride might come to an end? The consumer seems pretty resilient. In Canada, uh, it's pretty spiky, right? Retail's mm-hmm. okay, but it's not it's not doing what the U.S. is. And then again, if you could give us a sense of what's in the near future for uh, for the business. Yeah, I mean, I was on Bloomberg a few months ago talking about just retail in general and and you know some of the risks and and some of the opportunities. And you know, retail has gone through a little bit of a lag, especially in the U.S. in 2019. We haven't seen it in our business. We you know, maintained that growth rate over 40% year over year. I think we're 42 year to date. Um, and I'm very bullish on, you know, the rest of the year, at least for our business. I think that, you know, we continue to see an adoption of a, the product expansion we've brought to market. So, you know, whether that be khakis or casual shirts um, or a greater selection of customizations and personalizations for suiting, you know, this week we have a, a historic launch. We're, we're, we've tested outerwear for two, two fall winter seasons now in a row in a uh, limited fashion, uh, quote unquote. We are, are going very big this year. And so we've got an outerwear launch that brings 32 new outerwear products to our consumers, mm-hmm. uh, both existing and, and, and the many new that will join us. And so, I'm really excited about that. You know, next uh, week we launch our 50th showroom, which is, you know, a really nice milestone for the business. Mm-hmm. We've got another 15, excuse me, we've got another 20 showrooms uh, between now and, 
um, you know, call a Q2 of next year that we're launching. Mm-hmm. And we've got some interesting partnerships that we're in discussion on. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really, really excited about, you know, what we've done, where we're at. But frankly, our best years are ahead of us in terms of, you know, further expansion and, uh, and profitable growth. Well, it's, it's, it's exciting to hear. Um, and I, uh, I wish you continued success. And I want to, you know, get ahead and, and invite you back in maybe uh, into the podcast later in the year and check in and, and see how the business is going. But for now, thanks so much for joining me on Voice of Retail, Drew. It's a, always a pleasure to catch up and a real treat to uh, talk to such a savvy, successful retailer. You know what? I just love talking to you, man. So, yeah, it's really great to hear your voice, and I look forward to talking again soon. Patrick, welcome to the Voice of Retail. How are you today? Very well, thanks, Michael. Well, thanks for making time to uh, to join me today. You and I have known each other, uh, I would say, uh, probably back to 2000 when we were together at, at HBC. But could you give us a sense for the listeners of your your professional journey and and uh, a little bit uh, a little bit about you and and uh, your role in retail? Absolutely. I I guess I came to uh, both retail and um, and marketing uh, in a roundabout way. I started off in uh, the retail advertising side of things at J. Walter Thompson and took that kind of as a specialty. I moved across to SMW and publicists, so a good 13 years or so on the ad side of the business. And a lot of that, obviously, there was definitely financial services and CPG and packaged beverages and all that kind of good stuff, but I managed to kind of maintain a, a real focus on retail and, and direct-to-customer, customer service type of clients throughout that time. And so took that expertise and turned it into a couple of different companies, uh, small boutique agencies and consultancies that I ran, which serviced the retail industry. And from there, that's when I really ended up at um, Hudson's Bay, um, initially running uh, as a general manager for all of their external advertising for all of the brands that we had at that point, which was Zellers and Home Outfitters and the Bay and even the Olympics, which was kind of a separate assignment. Fields and, even uh, back then, right? The yeah, little, the- yeah, lots of banners. And then uh, about a year and a half, two years after I got there, you know, there was the big restructure, which saw them break those component banners back into their operating silos, which probably helped. Uh, certainly helped uh, Hudson's Bay, and I spent about the last uh, 11 years really running that specifically from a marketing standpoint. Mm. So deep, deep experience on uh, on the front lines and from uh, from strategy. So I wanted to to talk about the tradecraft of brand management. I mean, you highlighted the fact that you know you you've worked with and around big businesses, big retailers with multi banners, always a challenge, and trying to create cohesive where it matters and differentiation uh, where the customers feel it. But but how do you approach building distinctive brands in modern day retail? That's a big question. But what how do you how do you think about that with your experience at uh, at one of North America's premier big brands uh, and oldest companies? Well, you're right. I mean, it is it is absolutely a, a, a complex marketing puzzle. And I have to admit, you know, the retail marketing, it was the complexity of the whole program that really attracted me to it in the first place. And it's because that complexity is based on having to manage these polar opposites. You know, you've got the, you've got the very tactical and promotional 
which you've got to figure out a balance with your image and differentiation, as you say. You've got your traditional and like the most traditional kind of paper flyers against the most um, new and innovative being uh, e-commerce and all of the digital assets that that requires. So you're, you're really dealing with the yin and the yang of marketing to try to come up with this comprehensive whole. And as with most brand building, you, you have to start from that point of reality in terms of your position in the market. And from a retail standpoint, that's really always going to be based on what is the product that you sell. I know there's a lot of concentration these days on uh, the retail experience, and certainly there is a an absolute premium that we have to give to delivering on a, on a great physical experience. But by and large, the product that you sell still is going to define you in terms of your overall market position. So you got to start with there, uh, start there. And um, once you've developed that messaging and that content into what can be a clear and simple and compelling differentiation in terms of why shop there versus someone else, then that even more tactical and more scientific uh, part of the job comes into play, which is, of course, the distribution of that message to a target that is going to take it and run with it and actually be engaged and do something with it. So. Again, it's a question of knocking down the things uh, in order that you've got to sort out and then being very, very clear and focused as you execute in the marketplace with them. Well, let's let's take a minute and, and unpack that part about product because you're absolutely right. Uh, the experience can be spot on, but if the product value proposition and assortment isn't right, um, you're not going to last very long. How how did you work with your counterparts, your your counterparts in merchandising? What was that? When I worked at in in uh, retail, for example, at the Shopping Channel, you know, I'd get to know their business. They'd get to know mine, and really would help me in some ways. I, you know, they would look to marketing to help shape um, how they viewed and what product they should look for. And at the same time, they would go and find, of course, being savvy retailers themselves, product. How did that dynamic work for you uh, over your over your career and in your experience? Well, I, I would agree with you. I think you really have to be intimately connected to the product, and typically that is through the merchants that you work with. And um, it is a give and take. Uh, there's never a merchant who thinks they get enough support uh, of the you know, finite pie of marketing that is uh, out there in uh, to be divvied up. So you are dealing with that dynamic. However, uh, to your point, they are often looking for guidance in terms of what we would call at Hudson's Bay, the point on the spear near, you know, merchants uh, and all businesses tend to, they, you kind of default to those higher volume opportunities and the sales dollars that come with them. And yet mm -hmm. uh, counterintuitively many times that is not the thing that you want to talk about, you do want to talk about those things that are smaller, more verified, potentially have a uh, limited shelf life or a, or a limited distribution because that's really what tweaks the interests of the customer out there. And done properly, taking a number of those things that are special, different, and unique um, will get you the kind of mass audience and exposure you want. You really... You really need to resist the temptation to go with the 
biggest volume driving, you know, Crest toothpaste 24 seven, you need to find something new and different to put in front of the customer when you've got a strategy that says uh, differentiation is part of what you're trying to appeal to them on. Well, there's, there's no question. Some of my most dynamic conversations with the merchants were on, um, you know, I, I, as you try to build your, your brand defining brand enhancing uh, assortment at the same time, they've got numbers to hit and they say, listen, I can move a lot of this number and it'll help me, help me hit the mark. Uh, it may or may not be what you want for the brand though. So that's where the, the, the conversation gets so interesting. Eh? It really does. And it's changed over the years. And I, I really see it as there, there's an ebb and a flow to these things where, you know, quite often you'll have retailers that really are hitting their stride and they're talking about those things that maybe smaller, maybe not quite the volume opportunity, but do that great job of defining themselves. Um, and then typically what happens is the growth imperative takes over because you're starting mm -hmm. to put on, you know, numbers on big increases. You know, the, the law of large numbers gets you into that point where you start going back to the tried and true. So it's, it's always a challenge to, within the tried and true and within the growth that you have to deliver, we, we always had to be looking for something different. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, grocers aren't constantly giving you milk and juice on the front cover all the time. There, there has to be something that differentiates you and makes you go to the next grocer because you want that unique ingredient, you need that special or different uh, finished product that you've heard so much about that everyone's serving. Those are the things that can cause a trip to be made or a trip to be adjusted. So um, the, the resistance to base modeling is something that in retail marketing, typically you're sometimes the only guy who's carrying that flag. Let's talk about uh, another type of volume and that's store traffic. So I talk to retailers uh, every day and, and there's no question that uh, store traffic is tough to come by, it's tough to grow. And for many store traffic is going in one fairly steady direction and that's that's downwards now whether some degree that that's a, an amazon effect of shopping online i think that could be overstated that's often the kind of default answer but you've got a slightly different or a very different kind of idea that has a broader context that you shared with me tell me tell us more about how you think about driving store traffic and and where that uh, and where and why that can be challenging well, it goes to, you're right, there's, there's, there's a higher order change, I believe, happening in the market right now. And it, it really has to do with crowds and how you attract them. Uh, you know, if, if the 20th century was the century of crowds, then the 21st is the, is the century of the digital crowd. I don't think the nature of crowds has changed. And there's certainly been lots of work from a sociological standpoint of the nature of crowds and how they can be manipulated into doing good or bad things. And there's a lot of, um, there, there is a lot of research on how, how crowds affect each other and, and, and how they're formed and, and what they tend to do when they get together. But what I see happening is there are fewer and fewer actually physical crowds. And you'll notice that on the street, you, you notice that in shopping malls, you notice that in grocery stores, you notice that even in, in, in restaurants occasionally. I really believe that crowds now, so much of crowd forming and conversing and reinforcing happens online. 
you find your crowd, you hang out with your crowd, you relate stories and you uh, push interested uh, topics amongst the crowd. And a lot of that is done in the digital world. And as a result, there's a real deficit of physical um, crowds and physical groups that are like-minded and would tend to congregate even for everyday types of trips to grocery stores, trips out for dinner, because Mm -hmm. many of these things can all be at least expedited with digital and therefore from the comfort of your residence and therefore, and it is being reinforced by a crowd that shops, thinks and behaves the same way. So I think we're heading for increased uh, challenges for anyone who is reliant on physical locations, who does not have that really strong differentiating reason it might be worth a trip. Um, it's a really great insight, and uh, you know, it's a it's a great puzzle to be unlocked. So, let me talk about another puzzle to be unlocked. You've spent uh, the past decade plus in the department store format. What's um, you know, is there different ways to measure success? I mean, ultimately, you're measuring success by the by the sales, and but there's talk about measuring experiences per square foot and and all these things. What's the future for department store retail? In, uh, in North America? Well, I think the problem with measuring it other than in sales is ultimately the market measures it in sales, you know, in terms of comp store sales, year-over-year sales. And whether you choose to generate those sales with a much more robust online offering, which is definitely a strategy that's working for some of the larger players we've seen both here and in the U.S., or whether you choose to address increasing sales with somehow, uh, you know, addressing the challenges we just talked about, about the lack of crowds and lack of traffic, mm-hmm. you have to, you, you absolutely have to be able to do that. And it looks like that model on the low end in terms of the targets and Walmarts and Amazons of the, the world is based on extremely robust in, uh, e-commerce offerings, which are uh, an absolute uh, best price proposition. Mm-hmm. And efficient, right? And, and they're relentlessly efficient, right? Relentlessly they're not relentlessly efficient. And, and, and not, part of the problem with the, 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 the traditional department store is the, the scarcity of capital because of the need to both maintain and build your physical space while building out these incredibly costly networks, not just technologically, but from a supply chain, from a computerization and AI standpoint, you know, the, the, the big players in e-commerce, they see a new technology and they just buy it. I mean, they have, they have mm-hmm. so much capital sort of saved up in their bankroll that they, they if something intrigues them, they buy the company and they start putting all of that brain power to work right inside, whereas department stores don't have that luxury. They're still searching for vendors and for the best way to get uh, a company to come in and, and help them with this, even with companies that have very, very large um, IT departments, other than the very, very largest. It mm-hmm. does come down to innovation and differentiation. If you're anywhere outside of that price proposition, sort of end of the famous you know, U-shaped uh, uh, graph with price proposition on one side and specialization and differentiation on the other. The, the middle of the saddle is getting bigger, though, with fewer players at the bottom and uh, a, a lot of different higher-end players at the top. 
you know, we've been talking about um, in the past little while that, that, that gravity still matters. I mean, there's a lot of competitors in the retail space that, that are running that what may be unsustainable models, but they sure do suck up a lot of oxygen in terms of attention and media and, and even market dollars. And I think that's one of the challenges, let's call them traditional retailers, but I don't think traditional retailers exist anymore. Everyone's playing in the modern space, but your, your point about um, innovation and, and base, you know, unit economics still matter. Right. And uh, so it's really, it's a really interesting competitive set. And uh, I guess the struggle is how to not get caught in that middle where you have the worst of both worlds, you're you have an okay e-commerce offering, and you now have an okay assortment, and you know the crowds are store traffic is 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 declining. So I guess all this comes together being uh, it's challenging days for the department store. I still have confidence that physical retail has a great role in retail, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how these things all sort themselves out. Absolutely, I mean you've got this, you know, there's there's the old uh, business school case of you know what you do against the irrational spender. And really, a lot of traditional retail is forced into that kind of uh, paradox right now where, you know, a Wayfair is going to outspend everybody in that housewares and home furnishings category in this country, and yet they're losing half a billion dollars a year. So part of part of it is, you know, do you chase them? How far? And if you don't chase them, how far can you survive if you're going to play the waiting game and see if the market finally gives up and capitulates on funding this seemingly unprofitable venture ad infinitum. Well, I, I think, Aaron, I'm sure you would join me in wishing everyone the best in trying to figure that out. And uh, you too uh, are trying to figure that out. So um, for those that would like to uh, chat with you a bit further, how do people get in touch with you, Patrick? Uh, I've got an email. It's patrickdickinson033 at gmail. And uh, I'm happy if anyone wants to drop me a line. The uh, the, uh, the intellectual debate is uh, always interesting, and the practical application is always even more so. Oh, fantastic. Well, listen, thanks so much for joining me on The Voice of Retail. Great conversation. Really such a treat to catch up with you. Uh, again, you and I have known each other for a long time, and every time we speak, I learn Uh, I learned something. So thanks again. And uh, I wish you a great week. Fantastic. Uh, Likewise, Michael. Great to catch up with you too. Well, all right. Thanks to Drew and Patrick for being my guests this week. And now let's hit the highlights from Retail This Week e-newsletter, biggest retail weekly in Canada. You can subscribe on retailcouncil.org for free. I put that together each and every week, kind of a compendium of top retail stories and uh, also a um, kind of curated look at what's interesting. So let's kick it off uh, in the news uh, this week. Interestingly, um, um, mall makeover at Garden City. So uh, this is from the Winnipeg, Winnipeg Free Press. Former Sears store makes its way for six new tenants. So this is a theme we've seen across the country with the repurposing of a large physical space into uh, multiple spaces. So landlords being clever about uh, what and how they're creating, by the way, Keep your eye out for the um, the mall report. The Retail Council of Canada is putting out another edition of uh, the shopping mall report for 2019. That should be uh, in market uh, later in the fall, so be sure and keep your eye out uh, for that. That uh, Again, this article from the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, from uh, Retail Insider, Craig Patterson's Retail Insider, Hermes store opens impressive flagship 
in Vancouver. 5,000 square feet of retail space, uh, twice as much whatever was there before, according to the article at Burrard and Alberni. I was in Alberta, or sorry, Alberta, Alberni. I was in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago, so I saw the space just prior to opening. It's quite impressive, makes uh, quite a statement on the corner, so be sure and check it out. And speaking of statements on the corner, Italy is finally almost ready to arrive. It's been a long journey for the Italy brand as they uh, worked to find the right partners and the right space. This from the Globe and Mail talks about this. 50,000 square feet, uh, three floors opening up uh, on Bloor Street in the Manulife Center. So lots of work going on there. It's very exciting. First Italy store in uh, in Canada. So uh, much awaited. It's been a long journey, many, many years, and uh, finding the right partners. So we wish them well on their on their grand opening. Uh, from the Globe Mail, uh, Kushtard wants to be a key player in the North American cannabis market. So Kushtard, such a fantastic business, uh, really uh, has the heft uh, to make uh, to make uh, retail cannabis really work. They've got a bunch of uh, and sticks together a bunch of strategic alliances already. And of course, uh, Kushtard would already be quite familiar with selling uh, age-gated, so to speak, product with tobacco and whatnot. So uh, they're prime in that market. So we uh, we wish them best. We'll see how that works out. Uh, Strategy Magazine, this is from Strategy Magazine. Canadians expect to keep holiday spending steady. Uh, the title's actually a bit deceptive. It's not really about holiday spending. It's about when they're going to start spending. This from 200 uh, respondents, so not exactly a robust sample, but interesting nonetheless. Of course, this year, the uh, Black Friday holiday, U.S. Thanksgiving, is a week later. It's on the 29th versus the 23rd in uh, 2018. So we'll see how that shakes out in terms of um, what consumers do for the month of November and, and what retailers do to try to activate them in advance of that late, late start uh, to Black Friday. Uh, let's see, what else we got? Uh, oh, uh, Sebastian Prince from uh, Retail Council of Canada, Ontario director in the news, talking about uh, lifting of daytime restrictions on delivery. So that, you know, if we think about it, daytime deliveries uh, cause a lot of congestion um, uh, to retailers and retailers in the whole would like to, you know, would like to be more efficient delivering those. So there's a pilot going on. Check that out from uh, this from CTV. Check that out uh, in Ontario as they try to do a pilot for extending late night deliveries. Um, in New York City today, you see a lot of late night deliveries because uh, that's the best time to get around. Though it is always crowded in the streets. It seems 24/7. A uh, great article from uh, Retail Council of Canada, Drawing Party Lines, Where Canadian Political Parties Stand. So there's a whole in-depth uh, article in sight talking about uh, Retail Council's perspective on where and what the issues are from a retail's perspective. So be sure and check that out. Great for conversations on the uh, doorstep. Uh, retail around the world, Casper CBD Gummies. So fantastically interesting story about uh, earning the category of sleep. So um, this is from Fast Company. Casper CBD Gummies here to help you sleep. Uh, so I guess a mattress isn't just good enough. Uh, so interesting work there. Uh, targets big growth in small formats. So from Progressive Grocer and uh, lots of the content coming out of uh, Grocery Shop, which is uh, shops, uh, Shop Talk's grocery event in uh, Vegas happening this past week. And uh, Target talking about how they're growing by how they're growing uh, their assortment, so to speak, or how they're growing their small format stores. Uh, Pandora Plots Comeback. So this one is uh, close, near and dear to my heart, so to speak. I was at Pandora for about six months, a couple of years ago, helping them run their marketing. And they ran, ran into uh, a big, pretty big rough patch. Uh, their, um, their stock lost two-thirds of its value in the past 16 months. But new CEO, top management, new designers, so uh, onwards and upwards for uh, the brand Pandora. So we wish them well, of course. Under independent uh, news retailers, it's interesting. Uh, more than 200 cannabis stores, this is from the Calgary Herald, approved in Calgary. 
So the city says uh, that's the market limit, uh, and that's a lot of stores. So it's, what's interesting, uh, what I find the most interesting is now you're getting, particularly in Alberta and less so in uh, Ontario, for example, is you're now starting to get retailers who need to compete. Uh, so it's not a le- it's not about a shortage of a retail space. It's about competition. So this uh, retail innovator here, a retail independent retailer who owns a retail cannabis store, talking about well longer hours, maybe some discounts. Uh, it is where they say the rubber hits the road. Um, what else? We say goodbye to David's shoes. So uh, David uh, David's uh, uh, an institution on Mi'kmaq. This is from the kit, uh, and it is uh, unfortunately closing in some other stores that it has. Uh, so that didn't work out uh, as planned, but uh, whatever comes next, we wish them and, uh, and everyone connected to it well. Uh, Spotlight and Retail Prevention, uh, sorry, Loss Prevention, Spotlight and Loss Prevention, um, some active shooter incidents in the Cross Iron Malls uh, close to Calgary, uh, so a bit of chaos there, so uh, keep, we'll keep a close eye on that, and we're starting to see, of course, more and more of that. Uh, West Mountain Food Owners, concerned by escalation and thefts and violence at the stores. Uh, and uh, Vancouver Bookstore receives unexpected packages. So, so I guess people are shipping drugs and putting their address on as a return address. Uh, so they're finding some unusual packages, to say the least, uh, being delivered. Uh, Spotlight and Digital Retail uh, just wanted to focus out of Canadian Retail Magazine. Uh, Willie Crew getting uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, Hall of Fame, sorry, Hall of Fame Award 2019 for Retail Council Canada. It was a great interview. Uh, Willie, sat, Willie and I sat down at uh, Store 2019 and in the Pure Litter Podcast Studio, and we did uh, this great interview, so I put a link there. But if you're uh, you're listening at home, just go into my archives, and a couple of months ago, you can see an interview or listen to an interview I did with uh, Willie um, Everlane needs to open stores because basically no one online, no online companies are profitable. That from CNBC quote from Everlane. So we see this uh, continued integration of stores. And .com. Uh, love a lot of talking about how they're transforming grocery with technology. Again, uh, from the grocery, grocery shop uh, event in Vegas and Instacart as well, uh, chatting about these exact same things. All right, so uh, that is a wrap on this edition of the Voice of Retail podcast. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Please rate and review, and be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of M.E. LeBlanc Company, Inc., and you can learn more about me on www.meleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great week.